Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Hi, I'm Paul Listick, and welcome to Behind the Curtain. And welcome, everybody, to Paul Listnick Behind the Curtain. Uh, ordinarily, the podcast is a chance for me to catch up on various theater events and arts, but sometimes we stay in the world of politics that I know you know me for. Well, today, we bring the world of politics and media together. I'm going to be talking to the author of an incredible new book, which is called Free the Press. And it is written by Brian Karam. He is an award-winning investigative journalist and author, and this is his new book, Hot Off the Presses. Brian, thank you for joining me, first on TV and now here. And I just want to start with my first question, which is, you know, former President Trump certainly made a focus from the beginning of his campaign that the media, it's a bunch of liars and it's the fake news. And How important is it to the political process and to a politician accomplishing something to have the media questioned by the public? It's well, it's really important if you're trying to run a scam on the public. And that's what Trump tried to do. Um, if you are in, if you can put the onus on the press and make people question what we're reporting, then you can get away with a lot more, which is what Trump's plan was, which was what he did for four years. Things sometimes work well for Trump, but they don't necessarily work well for others. Is this been a practice that has worked well in your experience with other politicians who also talk about the lying, cheating media? To a varying degree, that's been the way that politicians have worked for years. You know, that's hence the, the saying, don't shoot the messenger. Um, that, you know, that's where it came from. We're providing the information. If you think the information is an error, you don't attack us. But it's far easier to do that, to go after and attack the press than to actually look at, at the facts and figures, statistics and reality. Uh, politicians are great at weaving a web of deception. And unfortunately, the American public over the years has become increasingly uh, susceptible to believing their fiction instead of reality. How else do you account for the fact that we think that a 50 percent voter turnout is a great turnout? It's, you know, how do you how do you explain the fact that there are people out there telling you not to get vaxxed or that, you know, the world is flat or, you know, that if you take a horse dewormer, you're going to be fine or inject Clorox or take your own, you know, drink your own urine. I mean, how, how do you how do you get that? Well, you get it when people don't believe you and people don't believe you when the politicians disparage you and have done it for 40 years. This book, Free the Press, is sort of a call for help to the press, basically saying, journalists, clean up your act, because one thing journalists could do would be, of course, to fight back, be strong. But, you know, Brian, you give an example in the book where you quote Dan Rather, where he basically calls the press spineless. So how does the press recover its reputation and its image when Dan Rather says something like that? Dan Rather said that back in the early 90s, and we haven't gotten any better since then. The reason why this, the press is as it is is because the government has systematically destroyed it over 40 years, removing guardrails to making sure that we are, are fair and accurate, uh, decreasing ownership of media so that you have uh, fewer and fewer reporters out in the field. There are twice the number of people on this planet as on the day that I was born, half the number of reporters. 
There are station, television stations that have closed, newspapers that have closed. There's no eye on government. And federal, state, and local governments have all participated in removing uh, profits from newspapers and radio stations and encouraging buying out newspapers and radio stations by large hedge funds and large investors and large networks. <clears throat> and they're not, there's nobody that's tilted to the left or tilted to the right in that group. They're all tilted toward the money. American journalism is tethered to uh, capitalism. And why? look, I, I, I'm a great capitalist. Buy as many copies of my book as you want. But journalism and capitalism should not be tethered together because what happens when you tether journalism and capitalism together, you get news that you want to read, see, or hear instead of news that you need to see, read, or hear. And the government is complicit with big business in producing the, the sterile and horrifying environment that we have today in journalism. Is it fair to say essentially that journalists, the entity of, of you know, TV stations or newspapers, magazines, are they victims in this process? In other words, the all-powerful corporations which say, hey, we can make a lot of money from this. We're going to step in and buy them. Journalists pretty much have to go along for the ride. Well, yeah, but we're also, you know, the proximate man is also responsible. There's nothing to keep you from doing a good job. The fact of the matter is we have less institutional knowledge today than we had when I first got into this business. That's, you know, when I first walked in the White House press briefing room in 1986, the average uh, experience in that first row of the Brady briefing room was twice, maybe three times what it is today. And if you don't have the wherewithal or the experience to do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. And that's part of big business. But there's nothing to keep you from doing your job correctly, learning how to do it correctly, and don't play access journalism. Don't be tied to access to the people in power in order to do the job that you, you, you really need to do. You need to not worry about your access, not worry about your uh, making friends with the people that you cover. You need to treat them as they are. They're, they're sources. They're not friends. You can be friends after they get out of office or you, or you stop covering them. But the simple fact of the matter is, until you know how to do your job right, we're never going to get better reporting either. So if you have networks, say like Fox or, and I'm not picking at Fox, but Sinclair stations, my point is networks where the ownership has an ideology, uh, as opposed to, you know, big corporation that just sees the profit motive in terms of, of ownership. But there are some uh, like Sinclair stations who, who they have a me, they have an, an ideological agenda to pursue. Um, is it your sense that yeah, journalists who are hired by it. those companies or work there? Yeah, they pursue a certain agenda because they see money in it. They see a group of people that are, have not been serviced, and they service them. Now, do they present facts? No, of course not. Most of it's crap. But the simple fact of the matter is, is there is a, a, a number of people out there, or a number of people out there who will listen to it. I guarantee you, if Fox couldn't make a dime doing what they're doing, that, that so-called ideological agenda would be thrown in the dumpster. They do that because they know they can make money. That's exactly why they do it. Roger Ailes engineered it. Roger Ailes is the Roger Ailes, Richard Nixon, and Ronald Reagan all engineered this. They they knew that there were people that they could co-op, and that they knew. And look, Edward R. Murrow in 1958 in the RTNDA Radio Television News Directors Association annual meeting, as its keynote speaker, warned of what we face today. If we don't do better, we're going to become a nation that adheres to slogans and propaganda. 
And that's where we are because there's money made off of it. I guarantee you the, there may be some hard cases in Fox who truly believe, but at the end of the day, you can take truly believe and throw it in the dumpster if you're not making any money. And your references now make a, raise a point I, I need to, 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 to ask you about, which is, you know, a lot of people sort of think that Donald Trump is the source of, of all of this image of the media. You write in the book very extensively, hey, folks, these attacks, this is not Donald Trump. Donald Trump just picked up the baton from a lot of predecessors, and you have to go back to Reagan days. You've mentioned you know, maybe even Nixon, but you have to certainly go back to Reagan days because Reagan's mission, as you write about it, was to end the independence of media. Yeah, Ronald Reagan set the table and Donald Trump ate from it. Every president since Ronald Reagan has contributed in some form or fashion to the demise of the First Amendment. And there's no arguing that. That's simply a fact. And the fact is that Donald Trump knew how to take advantage of it better than anyone else. But if you want to look for a root cause, go to Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and Roger Ailes. And if we look back at that, that sounds like, well, this is a Republican thing. But you also write in the book, no. You can take a look at Bill Clinton and even Barack Obama. They've contributed to this yeah. situation. Of course. The, the 1996 Telecommunications Act, not written by, but signed into law by Bill Clinton, is a huge problem. That allowed Sinclair to exist. Multiple ownership of stations, the, the cannibalization of newspapers, hedge funds owning hundreds of newspapers. Prior to that, we tried to get legislation passed in the Senate and the House that would limit ownership of newspapers and and, uh, television stations to a mere handful so that we wouldn't have the problem that we have today. And it got turned down by business interests and politicians who saw, who claimed that what they were doing was supporting the First Amendment, but in reality destroyed it. And every president Every president since Reagan has contributed, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, some of them knowingly, some of them unknowingly. But they all have contributed to the problem. None of them have tried to clean it up. I mean, we don't even have anybody standing up for for Jamal Khashoggi, who was killed. You know, two administrations have passed on holding people accountable for that. So, you know, journalists are more threatened today across the globe. They are beaten, jailed. There are more reporters in jail now than ever before across the globe. And you can say, oh, well, the rest of the globe is is screwed up and we're not. But we're the light and torch, supposedly. We have free speech enshrined in the very First Amendment to our Constitution, and yet we do not support it. So the rest of the world looks at it and goes, well, if they're not going to do it, why should we? (laughs) And that's why we have a problem today. And it's funny because even the phrase free speech right these days seems to be more of a political mantra for individuals who who, who say, I'm not being allowed to say what I say, and I have the right of free speech. And really, the, you'd have to go back to the founder's intention to well, see what they, they were talking about. You, you, they, today, they use free speech as, as a cudgel instead of, <laughs> instead of understanding what free speech actually is. If you and me get in a disagreement and I say, hey, shut up, that's not, I didn't violate your free speech. We're just two idiots arguing. But if the government comes in and tells you, look, you cannot speak, you're not allowed to do that, you're not allowed to be here, that's a violation. The government does not have a right to tell us that. You also say the press has hurt itself in this process because they no longer, I'm kind of paraphrasing you, but they no longer frame the narrative. They cover essentially what is clickbait. Now, young people might understand the phrase clickbait, but what do you mean by the press no longer frames a narrative they cover clickbait. Well, we no longer frame the narrative because we no longer have the experience or the wherewithal to come into a 
an environment with politicians and stand toe to toe with them and question them and know the depth of the issues and the, and what's involved in those issues. So what we refer to now is, you know, <laughs> remember when Obama wore a tan suit? Oh boy, did that get a lot of clicks. That's clickbait. That wasn't news. Oh boy is, you know, today Melania wore a jacket on the, on the, uh, in the Rose garden that said, I don't care to you. That's clickbait. And, and then writing headlines that say something contrary to what's in the article, simply writing a headline so people will click on it. You know, Donald Trump is going to hell, you know, and then you click on it and goes, well, oh, 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 somebody says they want him to go to hell. And it's buried five graphs into the story. That's what the problem is. We don't have the wherewithal to do the job that we need to do. Should we be drawing a distinction here as well between local journalists, uh, you know, the, the Chicago paper reporter, the street reporter, and the, I think I asked you this on the TV show too, but it makes me want to ask you to define the difference between a reporter and a journalist. <laughs> well, I was always told that a journalist was an out-of-work reporter. So at times in my life, I've been a journalist. Most of the time, I've been a reporter. Uh, but the truth of the matter is all of this rest begins and ends with community journalism. That's the backbone of journalism. It builds communities. We may disagree at the national level on a lot of different issues, but we all want to pick up or should want to pick or are often in the past did pick up the local newspaper that had the city council meeting in it. Oh, is my street going to be paved? Do I have clean water? All of the national stories of import begin as local stories, and we don't have community newspapers anymore. There are vast, huge I think it's more than a thousand communities in this country that don't have local media. We don't have reporters on the ground going to city council meetings. We don't have reporters covering PTA, covering high school sports, all the things that bind a community together. And in the process, local, state, and federal governments have gotten rid of the requirement for uh, governments to print public service and public notice ads. And those public notice and public service ads for small newspapers was oftentimes their profit margin. It did subsidize them, but it, it, it served a great role in the community. You know, you would have uh, car dealers and you would have car salesmen and you would have lawyers and doctors. They would look at these public notice ads and go, okay, this, is, this estate sale is up. Oh, these guys, oh, look who got promoted. I got to go in and talk to him. Oh, look what the city council has taken up this Friday night. All of these things brought communities together. And when you cease bringing communities together, you end up at a national level just screaming at each other over crap that most people really, at the end of the day, don't care about. You know, they, they say they care about them, but what, what's, what's, what's more important to you? Being able to get out of your driveway and have a paved road, making sure you, you, know, if you have clean water? Or are you, do you really care about the nuance of, of an immigration law that you know little about, but you've been told to think a certain way about? We have more in common than we have different from each other than our differences. And yet all we concentrate on is at the national level, our differences. How many times have you seen, and I've been on these panel shows, you have an anchor come out and you have two or three people argue for five minutes. No news is broken. Nothing is settled. And you go away at the end of those five minutes onto another subject where you do the same thing. It becomes infotainment, things that people want to see, read, or hear rather than things that they need to see, read, or hear. And the, and the reason why we do that is because it's cheap and it pays off. If it didn't, and so you can blame the American public as much as you can blame journalists. If we cared about what we, you know, I guarantee you, 
if if you turn on the TV and people would tune in to an in-depth report on the problems of infrastructure, I guarantee you that's what we'd be doing rather than talking about what Melania wore on the South Lawn or who's screaming about the polls or treating politics like it's, it's a football game. Who's ahead? Who's behind? But we don't. And so the American public is as much to blame as journalists for the sorry state of journalism because they buy what we sell. If, if they wouldn't buy it, we wouldn't sell it. So it makes me think that in the old days, when I was a kid growing up and you had the three major networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, that that's who told the news. Um, and now, of course, you have the 24-7, you have all the cable stations and all that. But it also seems there's a reactive journalism, which is to say, I think, and now you certainly watch the, the nighttime players on CNN, and it, it's hard to call them anything except certainly very liberal in their views. They don't even hide it, Don Lemon, whatever. They don't hide uh, who they are and what they're doing. I, I mean, MSNBC, uh, I used to be on that station in its infancy when it didn't know who it wanted to be and even what it was. It would cover, I'd be on for legal stories and things like that. My point is, it's almost as though some of the corporate ownership, they see what's successful, say Fox, and they respond. So perhaps MSNBC one day probably said, you know what? There needs to be a liberal voice. The law of supply and demand. That's that's why you've got to untether journalism from capitalism. If we're ever and reinstitute the fairness doctrine and make people do news instead of telling me what they think all the time. I have hired and mentored many a young reporter. Some of them would come to me and go, well, this is what I think. And I would tell them, I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? Go out and vet me and get me news. And, and instead of your opinion, because your opinion without facts is merely rumor, innuendo and, you know, inference. And that's not news. That's not journalism. And the book tries to address some of that as well. We're never going to get rid of, and we shouldn't want to get rid of more voices. So I welcome the Internet, and I welcome, you know, podcasts, and I welcome all everything that goes on. But there needs to be guidelines on how to do it correctly. And those of us who do know how to do it correctly, are, it's, it's our responsibility to show others how to. You know, I, I find it's, I love what you're talking about when you talk about sort of have a purpose and a focus because I can't tell you doing a, a television show on my end how many times I receive an you know an email from somebody a pitch from somebody they all want to come on they all want to talk about their views and when you sort of say where are you a professor uh, what book have you written what's your they don't I mean some do but some don't have credentials it's like a, well no I just have things to talk about I have very strong opinions and I want to come on your show and talk about them and you, and that's the problem and maybe the internet has fed that these days. And put something on the internet and, and you, you can just, become world famous and you've just described joe rogan in a mouthful that's exactly what's wrong you know stay in your lane i'm not going to tell brain surgeons how to con- conduct surgery on the brain and i don't need people telling me what they think is you know is wrong with journalism when i've lived it for 40 years and by the way i don't know anything about infectious diseases and neither does joe rogan maybe we better leave it to the people who have 30, 40 years of experience, and the reason why we don't is because journalism has been instrumental in in, uh, driving a wedge between knowledge and instant stupidity. You know, everyone's entitled to an opinion, but not all opinions are equal. Ignorance does not get to triumph over, over knowledge. And that's one of the largest problems is that we listen to why, you know, if Joe Rogan was to talk about comedy and talk shows, fine, all, all, all power to him. But, you know, he's not he doesn't have a, a doctor's degree. He's not a medical doctor. He doesn't know any more than 
anybody else does except the medical doctors, and those are the people I'll listen to. You also write in the book that if you want to be a reporter, be prepared to be anything but loved. Yes. It, it, I mean, to be a reporter, to be a real reporter, you got to be oblivious to what people, or at least ignore what people say about you as, and, you know, personally. Because the ad hominem attacks are the easiest way that the people without knowledge attack those with it or those who are trying to communicate. So, yeah, you're going to have to get used to that. Is yeah, I think it was Helen Thomas who once told me, if you, if you want to be loved, get a dog. <laughs> yeah, I think that was good White House advice, too. You know, when you mention names like Helen Thomas or Sam Donaldson or Dan Rather, you write in the book about, again, I grew up, Walter Cronkite was, uh, you know, the CBS anchor is when I was a kid. And you, you talked about a day, and, and a lot of people know this, but when Walter Cronkite and folks like him, the, the three major network anchors, they were the most trusted people in America. And in fact, uh, Lyndon Johnson, when he was president, famously once said that when he lost Cronkite's support regarding the Vietnam War, he lost middle middle. America. America, he knew he was done. That can't happen anymore, can it? Or do we have that in a very different way in a Sean Hannity? Or Tucker Carlson. No, you can't compare Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity to Walter Cronkite any more than you can compare Satan to God. (laughs) That's maybe a little stark, but... And I I wasn't talking about their views, per se. I was was talking about in terms of the impact, yeah. The impact is, look, the reason why Cronkite had the impact, and let's be honest, he gave his opinion. He did an entire documentary about the Vietnam War, straight-up documentary, and at the end he said it's, it's obvious to this reporter that we're not going to be able to win this. We're going to have to negotiate our way out of it. And that floored people, but they believed him. They trusted him, and the reason why Walter Cronkite was trusted and the reason why people believed him is because he had the gravitas and a lot of experience. He covered World War II. He was a beat reporter. He was in radio. He knew how to develop sources. He was trusted because he worked very hard to vet facts, and he presented them to the American public in, in a, in a no-nonsense, no-emotional fashion. And we, don't, we do not have that today. There's not any anchor even close to being on uh, you know, that kind of uh, influence that, that Cronkite was, not even close. You, you end the book by talking about, and you say something to the, along the lines of an uninformed public serves a useful purpose to ensure the most corrupt politicians stay in office and are likely to abuse the people. I think what you're talking about is people who only focus in on one kind of media, be it the conservative media channels or be it the liberal media channels. They're an uninformed public, even though they think they're quite informed. Well, I, I would maintain that the American public as a whole is less informed with more access to information at any point in time in the history of this country. And we've lost the ability to critically think. We've lost the ability to assess information for what it is. And we are so concerned about conspiracies and people trying to screw us over that we're always And look. And when you believe no one, it's easier to fool everyone. And that is the biggest problem we have today is that people are easily fooled because they are so quick to criticize or, or question every piece of information that comes their way. CNN will give you great information and then you'll turn on Fox and it'll be completely different. And you'll go, well, geez, who do I believe? Well, you've got to take the time today to vet that information yourself. And when you don't vet that information, you will fall uh, victim 
to your own avarice and to your own ignorance. And he goes, well, you know, I don't know, but that guy, I like him a little bit better. You know, that makes sense. The Germans out to really get us. We know that. And then that gets you voting against your own self-interest. Much of the misinformation spewed by government today and fed to us by people like Fox and Newsmax and OAN is done so so that they may fool you into working and voting against your own self-interest. And that's a simple fact. This this conversation is just so important, the power of journalism, the role of journalism, uh, the interaction with politics. And it's what the book Free the Press is all about. The subtitle for that book, I think, is fair to say uh, it's on the cover, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. From a guy who knows what he's talking about, Brian Karam, you've, you've been in the room where it happens, as they say. Uh, congratulations on the book. If you're a journalist, it's a must read. And if you're just uh, if you're into the world of politics and journalism, uh, it's also a must-read. It's just a book that's very informing. For folks who want to watch our television interaction, they can go online to WGNTV.com slash Political Report and watch our past interview. It is posted there now. And Brian Karam, thank you so much for being with me now. Good luck. Continued luck on the book. Um, I'm waiting for it to spend a 100 weeks on the bestseller list, and uh, certainly it will be on the bestseller list for every journalist and reporter out there who I know will read it, and everybody else ought to, too. Thank you, Brian. Well, from your lips to God's ears, thank you. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from Behind the Curtain.